Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The Bible tells us more than once that God is the God of all things. While it's tempting to defend God when some part of all things is painful, all things must always mean all things. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty, with the second part of this message entitled, All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. It was 42 years ago tomorrow that officially this church began, and so we're at a uh, in a birthday of, uh, of sorts uh, as this church started. And it started with a, an understanding that I had just taken a, a vow uh, before authorities that I submit to that I would preach the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God means the whole counsel of God, not just selected points and things that you think would be enjoyable or blessed or, you know, people would, would like. And so we're in a very challenging service. A series right now. And uh, this one has to do with the sovereignty of God. A lot of debate among theological circles in this arena. And it's one that I have to think we need to be very careful in because it is a challenging area. And so uh, I think though with the, with the deep challenge comes great benefit. And I think that's going to be the case through this series. But I want to pray to that end and ask God would, uh, would hold our minds and hearts in the right place as we walk through this series. So let's pray together to that end, all right? Our Father in heaven, we do bow and ask that you would bless this series as we continue and ask that, that we might get to know you through this series. We pray that as a result of knowing you better, that we would love you more. We pray as a result of this time that you would be honored and your kingdom would come on this earth, even as it is in heaven as we have prayed. And we ask this in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, think about the many different challenges that, uh, that we all face uh, day in and day out. I, I like to maybe summarize uh, some of them to kind of help us think about some of those things as the dreaded Ds, A, B, C, D. Uh, you've got uh, certainly uh, the, the problem of, of uh, disappointment, Something happens in life and we're disappointed. It can lead to discouragement where we find ourselves kind of low. That can even go into realms of depression. Sometimes accented because of chemical issues, sometimes not, but it's nevertheless, they are problems that we face that take us into the deepest of gloom. There are things like discomfort. There's physical pain and ailment, things that just we hate, we wish we never had to experience, but they are part of life. And then there is the dread of death. And many people do focus on that and find themselves perhaps challenged with cancer or whatever the disease or ailment might be, maybe an older age, and say, I'm really concerned about this thing called death. Uh, you could go on and on. All the different things that can be problems on this earth. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to imagine the worst that we could possibly experience. Maybe in those lists, uh, this list here, maybe beyond. But think about the very worst. And imagine that your Father in heaven were to come to you and somehow in an audible, clear way were to speak to you personally and give you some good news. 
And he would say to you, I know what you're going through, but I want you to know this. Even with what you're going through, I promise you these things. One, I promise you that you will never be condemned by me, your father. I won't have condemning thoughts. I would do nothing ever to express any condemnation to you because there is no condemnation. There'll be none whatsoever, regardless how you behave, what you do. You're my child, you'll never be condemned. Number two, regarding suffering. As suffering comes into your life, even as you're experiencing it now, I want you to know that there's going to be some unusual benefit that comes out of this. And I'll promise you, in eternity, if not on this earth, you will see how this has benefited you. And you will be so thankful for what's happening in your experience. In fact, more specifically, I'm going to say that all things, I'll go that far, that everything that happens in your life, you can be certain that it's part of a very intricate plan that I have put together, special for you in your life, to take you exactly where you need to be in life. I'm going to have it all planned out for sure. And lastly, I want you to know that you're going to live in the security of my love in every form and fashion. There will be nothing you can say, nothing you can do, nothing that will ever take you away from the love that I have for you. You will absolutely live in the environment of my love all the time. Now with that, what would you think? Do you think that probably in spite of whatever discouragement, maybe depression, uh, whatever it may be, do you think that you would find yourself saying, I got it made? I mean, how good can it be? I've got that. Who cares about the other? Oh, I don't like it. I hate it. It hurts. But I'll tell you this, I'm good. Folks, that is the message of God to us in Romans chapter eight. I'm gonna invite you to take your insert in hand through this series because we're gonna keep looking back to it. I want you to get to know this outline fairly well through this series. You notice at the top, it has four secrets to a satisfying life. That's the outline of Romans chapter eight. You can see when we've taught which part, what's coming in the future, where we are right now. We're talking about trusting in the sovereignty of God. The four things that I just, in essence, described as God would talk to you or me if he were to talk to us in person. Now, you notice the outline. It follows and it talks about the three presuppositions, three foundations, and five chain links as the outline. I've not used this particular outline before in the times that I've taught this, but I, I was thinking through this series, how do we get this simplified? How can we understand what, what's being said in these very challenging, challenging passages? Particularly as we come to this series in Romans 8, 28 through 30. I want you to listen to the text and then we'll look at this outline again. Here's how it reads. Beginning of verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want you to take your, your outline and follow it with me. It says three presuppositions. This is where we began last week. And in doing so, you notice that there are checks by the first and second point. It says, fully embracing the belief that all things work together for good presupposes three things. God is sovereign. God has a perfect plan. And thirdly, God engineers an infallible process to execute his perfect plan. And we're going to call that the golden chain of salvation. Not a term that I've come up with. It's one that's been used in theological circles. But the golden chain of salvation. Now, those are presuppositions, things that we need to have to kind of get us started. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off. There'll be a check every week. When you get this same bulletin each week, you're going to see checks. Maybe you miss one week. You can see what you did miss. Hopefully, you'll go to the podcast or you'll live stream, if possible, on the days that you have to miss. But whatever be the case, hopefully, you keep up with the series. But at least you can understand what is the subject matter that we're, we're covering. So, for instance, today, we're going to look at number three under three presuppositions. We're going to go to number two, three foundations. It says the golden chain can be understood only in light of the Bible's teaching regarding God's sovereignty, man's free will, and man's fall. This week, we will go into God's sovereignty. I will barely, barely, barely introduce man's free will because I can't really talk about sovereignty without making sure you're not thinking the wrong thing. So we'll dip into man's free will. Next week, we're going to come back hard on free will and try to understand that. And then we'll walk through, do we get to number three, five chain links. It says salvation is only to be understood in light of the five links of its golden chain. And these are the five links. Begins with foreknowledge. Then it goes to predestination. Stop. Christian, somebody ask you, you believe in predestination? What do you say when you're asked that? You believe in it? Many a Christian says, I don't believe in predestination. I've never believed in that stuff. Well, I want to encourage you not to ever say that again if you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible. Because the Bible says God predestined. There's no doubt. Now, you might want to say predestination, your mind means this or it means that, it means this, it means that. But you don't want to say you don't even agree with predestination. Maybe you don't agree with someone's view of predestination. Much better way to state it. Now, as we get into these predestination, calling, justification, glorification, there's not going to be a lot of debate about justification. There'll be some insights that I think will be very encouraging and helpful. Not going to be controversial. Glorification. It'd be kind of interesting because we're talking about, well, what happens then? We've left this earth as we know it now, and we're back on this earth as it will be known then. What's that glorification going to be like? It'll be a fun thing to look at. I don't think this will be that controversial. But the early links of the chain, 
Oh, my goodness. Very, very challenging. But I will assure you this. If I were to start this series and say, I would like to teach the five links of the golden chain of salvation, and I would teach it exactly like I will teach it as we get to it several weeks from now, and I were to do that, this place would leave so confused, you'd be going, what? I don't know. That's not, it, it really will make no sense to you whatsoever. It really won't. But I make a prediction. You understand the presuppositions and particularly the foundations, the three foundational things we'll talk about. You begin to understand what free will is. You understand the fall. You understand what we're talking in these things. And I'm telling you, it'll, it'll all of a sudden make a platform where you go, oh, hmm, now I'm beginning to get it which says this, we're not there yet. We've not finished the foundation. Hang in there. I, I told Carol, I, I'm concerned that this thing is gonna stretch some brains and it's gonna hurt some people. Had a lady come up and introduce herself, very appreciative for the series, but she said, my head hurts. Oh, my head hurts. And I turned to Carol and said, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what I'm concerned. It could hurt. Don't avoid the pain. All right? Now, let's pick up where we have left off. We're now talking about God engineering this infallible process. And that process is going to execute this perfect plan that we talked about last week. And we talk now about what those things are that make up the plan, the golden chain. We're not sure exactly what they mean. But I'll assure you of this. If you do not embrace, if you cannot embrace the, the teaching about the links of the chain, you're going to find it virtually impossible to have the fullness of embracing the great truth of Romans 8.28. And I will say on the contrary, if you begin to get this, then Romans 8, 28 is going to come alive to you. And this time we're going to sweep across the counsel of God from eternity past into the yet to be revealed. And I think it's going to be an intriguing opportunity to do just that. Now, we're ready now just by just stating those things about this process I want to take us into the foundations. And so if you look on your outline, it says three foundations. And right under that, it says this, the golden chain can be understood only in light of the Bible's teaching on these three things, God's sovereignty, man's free will, man's fall, and so forth. So let's look again at God's sovereignty. We touched on it last week, but I said I'll only introduce it because this week we're going to make it one of our foundational points. So let, let's talk about it a minute. For a quick summary, for you that weren't here, we talked about that this is a domino doctrine, God's sovereignty, and I use the idea that domino that you line up to the next domino and you hit the lead domino and it, it knocks down the others. That's what happens in this particular teaching. You get the doctrine of God's sovereignty and now things begin to, all right, now I can begin to understand these things. We talked about sovereignty as possessing supreme power 
and that God is the only true sovereign one. We use Ephesians 1.11, great text. It says, God works all things, hear this, all things after the counsel of his will. But we kind of stopped there. So now, in this foundational point, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty. We're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the only way for God to cause all things to work together for good is if we are believing that God is sovereign. If you think about it, if God is not in supreme control, has supreme power, then all things can't work together for good because there'll have to be some things that he's not in control of. How do you know what those things are? I heard of a pastor. I've heard of this several times, but I heard of a pastor more recently that that was at a funeral that this person attended. And as of the funeral, the pastor got up and said about the death of this person, I want you to know this untimely death. God had no hand in this. There was nothing. This was out of God's realm. It was absolutely something that he was not a part of, wasn't in control. I mean, this is all the evil one. And therefore, you know, please, let's not have any issue with God over this thing. And I hear that and I go, What? And I wonder how God must in the heavenlies be thinking, don't defend me like that. Don't, don't say things like that that aren't true. Though I know that might make people feel a little bit better about me right now. They'll never know me as I am. He's got to be screaming out, no, present me as I have presented myself. I mean, don't, don't do anything but to show who I am because only as you get to know me as I am will you understand how beautiful that I am. So don't do that. I know this for somebody to say that our God is not necessarily sovereign. That means that he doesn't control all things. That's an oxymoron. An oxymoron would be uh, something is falsely true. No, it's either false or it's true, right? And so if you hear any teaching at all about the sovereignty of God, and then you hear in that teaching that what is really truly being said is, man therefore does not have free will, which we'll cover next week. Just know this. Say, nope, not believing it. Never in the teaching of the sovereignty of God is there any elimination whatsoever about the free will of man. A basic thing to always remember, the two can and do coexist. Now, I'm going to give you just a little look into that for one minute here, and then we're going to come back to it in a big way next week. R.C. Sproul gives a great definition of free will as it refers to man. Here's what he says. He says, it is the ability to choose what one desires with no external force coercing a contrary choice. Now, I want you to know, in the sovereignty of God, as we get into subjects like foreknowledge and predestination, you want to remember this. God never takes away the ability of man to choose what man really wants to do there will never be an external force coercing any contrary choice to what God would want. That will never happen. 
I uh, taught this series, I mentioned last time, I taught this series in 2008. And when I taught it, I, I collected a lot of questions and comments that people were making. During that time, this one came to me. One person wrote, the answer to any deep question seems to be God's sovereignty or his ways are higher than ours. But there must be some limits. God cannot be both just and unjust. He's correct there. God cannot be both just and unjust. But here's what's been missing there. There is such a thing in the Bible called mystery. And there is what's called biblical paradox. Do you know what those are? Mystery. Mystery is something, this is defined in the dictionary, something difficult or even impossible to understand. For instance, for me, black holes. I don't get that. Something goes in, but nothing comes out. I don't know. How, what is that? Black hole. But for some reason, I believe in black holes. I would really believe in black holes if I could understand black holes. There's certain things that we will never fully understand. But there are some things about black holes that I could understand more than I have right now. But there is mystery in this world in which we live. But there's also paradox. Here's a definition of paradox. It's a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. There is a lot of paradox in the Bible. So when something is not connecting in your brain about what God says, then you need to ask, is this a contradiction? Is it a mystery? Is it a paradox? What I want to do is to eliminate, is it a contradiction? Is it saying the opposite is true? Or could this be mystery? Maybe it is. Could it be biblical paradox? Maybe so. But to violate man's will would be wrong. That would never happen in Scripture. Now, that's just a little bit more. I'm giving you just a little bite each week, a little bite. And then I'm going to kind of teach through some questions that I'm going to raise. These are questions that have come to me from people a decade ago as I taught this. Uh, it, it comes from questions that I think are very important for us to grapple with to understand this. And so here are a few questions. A few of them are pastoral. But one question came to me. Isn't faith in Romans 8, 28 a form of self-deception? Now, you know how I answered that to this person? I said yes in many occasions. I think there's a lot of self-deception among many of us here as regards Romans 8, 28, even as Christians. I think some of us probably say, you know what, I... I'm a Christian and therefore I believe in the Bible and I know the Bible says that all things work together for good and therefore I believe all things work together for good. But at the same time, have no understanding, maybe even are believing something very contrary 
to verses 29 and 30. Have no foundation, have no understanding, and consequently don't have any sense of conviction of belief. And so for some, there probably is a bit of, I really want to believe this, I hope it's so, I've been told it's so, and I guess that's what I'm going to say. And for some, it makes us feel good that we can say that. But folks, what we want is something deep in us that says, I know that's true. It is true. Why do I believe it's true? I'll tell you why. Because did you know that my God foreknew me? Did did you know that my God predestined me? Did you know know he called me? Then justified and one day will glorify if that be the case, if, if, if that's where it began in eternity past, and it's not something now that's just happening, who knows what's God involved, how's he involved, it becomes a different story. So very important to understand. Number two question. How do you convince hurting Christians that all things work together for good? I thought that was a great question. My response is, You really can't. And in the midst of their pain, you shouldn't try. I I said last week, you don't learn good theology, you earn it. And certainly by simply telling somebody in the midst of pain, oh, by the way, you need to know this, you're a Christian, all things are working together for good. So this loss is really a good thing for you. This pain is really, that's not the time to say anything like that. In fact, just as pastoral counsel, what you do then is you just say, I am so sorry. I am praying for you. I want to be here for you. I am so sorry. But God's going to have to work these truths into our hearts, and it's going to take time. It's going to take massaging and so forth. Third question. How can a Christian see God's goodness and plan in all things? Well, to be fair, I don't think we necessarily can see God's goodness in all things on this earth. I will say this from my experience, as I've gotten older and now have years to put between when bad things have happened in my experience, I take the worst of my experiences back when I was a a young person, and I see that worst experience, I now can see things and go, wow, well, I see how God, oh, look how God used that. Look how, oh, and in time, I began to see it. But something could happen to me now that I'm going through and, and, and maybe I die a month from now and I never will have seen how God actually has used that in my life experience. But what we want to do is understand this. If we believe this is the word of God and this is God's word to us, then what we can be sure is this, that as I often say, if we could, if we could part the, the curtains of eternity and could peer through and see our experience now from the perspective of God, that's when we would be applauding God and saying, thank you for this thing I hate so badly. But here's the deal. We can't see that. We can't understand that right now. But here's what we can understand. God foreknew me. God predestined me. God called me. God justified me. That's all past. That I can see. 
And I've got the promise he's going to glorify me. Now, maybe all things do work together for good. And it becomes something we actually believe. Number four question. Did God foreordain sin or did sin come into the world against God's will? What do you think? Don't tell me. <laughs> One philosopher, I think, expresses that sentiment in this way. If God knew we would sin but could not stop it, then he is neither omnipotent nor sovereign. If he could stop it but chose not to, then he is neither loving nor benevolent. And that's how a lot of Christians feel. I'm left with a choice. Which is it? Neither is a choice we want to make. And good news, you don't have to. Because the answer to that question is yes, God foreordained sin. Ephesians 1.11, he foreordained all things that came to pass. Well, they come to pass. Did, did sin come to pass? Yes, it did. Did he foreordain it? Absolutely he did. Now the question that comes in there is against his will? This happened against his will? You can answer that yes and no in this regard. It depends on how you're describing the will of God. There are actually six different, theologically speaking, there's six different expressions of the will of God. But two that I think are most important for us is his perfect will and his permissive will. Uh, is this his perfect will for sin? I mean, in, in terms of, it, it, no, the perfect will of the Ten Commandments. The perfect will is what he said, this is truth, this is what I delight in, this is what's right and good and so forth. Sin does not fit that category. But did he foreordain it? Yes, in his permissive will, yes, he did. And don't ever forget what I said last week and said many, many times. As I quoted, God ordains what he hates to accomplish what he, what? What he loves. Last question I'll look at today and then we'll bring closure. If God foreordains sin, does that not make him responsible for man's sin? I hope you know the answer to that is no. Man freely chose to sin. He was not coerced to sin. Never. Never against his will. Uh, read James chapter 1. Beginning of verse 13, it says this. Let no man, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now our text there clearly says that God never tempts us. He does not tempt us to sin. By the way, did you read and use as we prayed the Lord's Prayer that was on the screen? You notice that it's a little different where it comes to not the words, lead us not in temptation, God. Instead, we say, you know, deliver us from the evil one so that we will not be led into temptation because the evil one is the one who leads us into temptation. You may have noticed over the last couple of weeks that Pope Francis now has finally concluded that, okay, this wording can be changed in the Lord's Prayer. Huh. Pope Randy had that 40 years ago. <laughs> that's what we put up 40 years. No, I don't, you don't need to apply it. I'm going to delete that from the video that goes out on this thing. <laughs> but, but here's the point. No, he doesn't tempt. 
No, 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 it's the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one so that we would not be tempted. That's the point. And so as we look at this, very important to know, it'd be like this. Imagine that, do you believe in creation? Yeah, I believe in creation. Do you think God is the creator? Yeah, I believe God's the creator. Do you think then tree is, uh, a tree is the creation of God? Yes, I do. Well, what if, what if I were to take a tree and, and take a portion of that tree, a limb or whatever, and I, and I carve it into a club and I, I go to a neighbor or somebody that I absolutely hate and I say, enough is enough, and I take the club, whack them over the head and kill them. So I just murdered that person. And then imagine if I were to say, I'm not responsible for this. Hey, what do you mean you're not responsible? Uh, let me tell you, were there, no, were there no tree, there would be no club. And if there's no club, I would not have hit him with the club. He wouldn't be dead. This is actually God. It's his problem. It's what he did. That's the rationale that would be here to say, oh, God must be responsible for, no. God created that which was good and man has used that in an inappropriate way. Now, just so you can see what's coming over the next few weeks, we're going to deal with these questions. I'll give you four different ones we're going to be looking at. Is, if God is sovereign, is it not unfair that he did not assure the salvation of all people? Or if we answer that one, it might lead to the question, well, why did God not choose to save all people? He could, couldn't he? Well, certainly he could. He didn't, did he? No, he didn't. Why did he not do that? Next question, how can God be sovereign over man and man still have a free will? That's gonna be the big challenge for us to try to think through and understand. One more, don't all people have a free will to choose or reject Jesus? Now, some of those answers are not gonna be what you think. But even if you do think, we need to understand why would that be the right answer. Now, having said that, I'm gonna go back to something I said last week as I close. Why teach these deep truths? I said last week it's not to win a theological argument, and it is not. I'm not in debate with anybody. It's not an issue. Not at all. Well, then why are you? And I'm gonna suggest to you two reasons. One, to be able to find the freedom that comes from truth that sets us free. You and I want freedom. And you know, sometimes it takes new information to get us free. Imagine someone who is dieting with an effort to lose a lot of weight. And they have read or understood or thought that, okay, now what you need is to eat as many carbs as possible per day. And for some reason, they're not losing weight. Well, they were told if you do that, then your metabolism is gonna really race up real high and it's gonna take care of all the issue of your weight. But they don't find that to be the case. They probably need some new information. I think there are a lot of us that are, I want to love God. I wanna love God more. I wanna know God better. But it's just not happening. I read my Bible, I pray. Maybe there is some new information. I think it accounts for why so many people over the years have come to me 
and said, Randy, I just went through TFL in this church, Theological Foundations for Leaders. And this is the type stuff that they study. And as one of our now elders said, that's when I fell in love with Jesus. It was when I learned these great truths about our God. I began to see what he did and it made God so much bigger than I'd ever seen God before. And it put me in a position that I should have been all along that I never saw myself. And now it caused me to wake up in the morning and say, God, look who you are. Look what you've done for me. That's the difference maker. It's how do you view God? How do you see him? Also, there's a second reason. That's just to honor God. I mean, God, God wants us to know him as he is. And I know that as a Christian community at large, not just here, but well beyond across the lands, that there is a desire among Christians that they want to feel good. And some things you hear make your head hurt like that lady said. That, she didn't come out saying, I'm feeling good right now. I got a terrible headache over this message you just gave. No, she said, I don't feel good. And I understand that many people would want that. Well, let me tell you, I'm speaking for the teaching team, and I'm talking about Caleb and Jeff and Bob. I, I speak for all of us. We would certainly hope that you enjoy worship, but that's not what our real desire is. What our desire is that you enjoy life by enjoying God. And you'll never enjoy him without the truths of who he is and what he's done. Very important. I use an analogy of a, of a building. The storm of life are coming. The storms are maybe like a tornado. And it's about to hit us and we need a place to run to hide. And so if it's a real tornado, we say, oh, where is there a... Uh, uh, where is there a, a, a little small little shelter? Uh, where is there a, where's something I can jump in? No, no, no. We go, where is there a large, strong, sturdy building that could protect us? And we run into that building for protection. But what if we didn't realize that that building had no foundation? As beautiful as it may look, it had no foundation. In the foundation that did exist, that was a horrible foundation, there was no rebar. There was, no, there was nothing in there to strengthen that foundation. And then the disillusionment that comes, even if we survive and say, what is it with this big building? It didn't, it didn't help me at all. Folks, I want you to think of it this way. Romans 8, 28 is the big building. But you've got to have 29 and 30, which is the foundation. And the five golden links, that's the rebar that goes in the concrete. And you've got to know that when the storms of life come, that you're going into the right building that's ready to protect you. And I'm going to suggest that there are people, they truly, truly, they say, I see the building, but it's a building without a foundation. So verses 28 and 29, they're the things that we have to look at. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be misled by that illustration though, because the truth of it is as important as that building is and the foundation 
and the rebar. It actually is Jesus to whom we run. He is the one. It's going to Jesus and understanding that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and that's a mystical union. And if that mystical union is true in my life, then the worst storm is going to hit. You know what? I'm going to be okay. But in the midst of that storm, without Romans 8, 28, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be worried. I'm going to think, oh no, this is horrible. But if in the midst of that storm, I've got Romans 8, 28, with a firm foundation, then I go into those storms, and it is frightening, but there's peace and there's joy. Folks, that's what I want for you. Am I totally correct on all of this stuff I'm telling you? Probably not. Somewhere it's erroneous, I know that. But at the same time, you just go back to the diet. Somebody says, oh, you know, I believe that it, I believe what you got to do is you got to have low carbs. Oh, I think you need high protein. Oh, I think you need a real mix between fat, protein, and carbs, and it needs to be an equal way. Oh, I think you do not eat but one time a day. Oh, you just eat, do you not eat breakfast ever? Next person says, oh, no, you eat six meals a day. A little bit every, through the, that's the only way. And what do we do? We say, well, phooey. I mean, nobody agrees on this stuff, so what difference does it make? Does it really matter? So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to eat all sugar. <laughs> Why not? Nobody agrees. Let me tell you, that's the way people go into this theologically. Well, nobody seems to agree. Nobody seems to know. So let's just eat sugar. No. <laughs> Study the Word of God as a workman who need not be proved that we might know what God is, just that we might learn it. And that's my prayer is that every week, a little bit by little bit, little layer after little layer, that we're gonna come to the end of nine weeks. And the end of nine weeks, we're gonna say, I know my God in a new way. And I got a shelter to run to. It's Jesus. But it's the promise that he gives. Romans 8, 28. Let's pray together. Father, would that be the case, we pray. May you bring us to know you. May people see the cross of Jesus and understand the only way to know you is by what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. So I pray now, take the vast majority of us, we would pray for every person here that we might see you in a new way through this series, might fall more in love with you as a result. And we ask it in the great, strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.